You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Bridge Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Join Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. This is Ken and I'm here in the studio with Jeff and Neil. How are you guys doing? Good morrow. Good. And as per usual, over the internet we have the man who made reliable Democratic voter, Ken Bone, think twice. <laughs> Matt, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I forgot what the studio looked like. I hadn't seen you guys in so long. Yeah, it's been a while. We were on a little recording break, though. If if the uh, podcast magic work worked, uh, hopefully you did not. T- you were not able to tell mm-hmm. there at home. But so. you'll be able to tell like by how week. rusty we all are. Yeah, today. <laughs> yeah, right. It's been six years. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. A couple months. Took a little break for the holidays. It was. It was good. Any changes in your lives? Um, sliced my finger. Our our laundry room was uh, filled with sewage. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, uh, anything good? No. Nice. Uh, my laundry room's backing up as we speak. Yeah. Not yeah. sewage. But hopefully all of us will back up. My uh, laundry just, is yeah. neatly folded and in the uh, dresser. So. <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, nothing, nothing good. But uh, I'm happy to be back. Cause <laughs> this is what's good. what's making me happy. Is I get to hang out with all of you. So there you go. Yep. Life is a yeah. never-ending misery. All right. Continue. <laughs> But uh, but thankfully we have some people that we can hang out with today that are going to be a lot of fun because uh, we don't want to be talking about sewage and uh, and other bad things. Um, but uh, we'd we'd love to introduce uh, our guest host today. Welcome back to Sewage Talk. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back. Make sure you get your bleach. Um, we're in- excited to introduce uh, from Southern California, uh, coming to us uh, from the Orange County area. Oakland Five supporter on Patreon, yeah. Blake. How are you, Blake? Doing well. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So as stated, my name is Blake. I come from SoCal. I work as a tax verification clerk and play a lot of board games and trivia in my free time. I also occasionally will write about board games because I stopped writing about music because I figured out I actually dislike most of it. But <laughs> on one of the sites <laughs> that I wrote for, they did a podcast called Trailer Trashed in which they would get smashed drinking alcohol and watch trailers and react to them. And the one episode I was on was called Cream of the Crop in a bizarre coincidence. That's great. Uh, And uh, before we get started today, uh, for the people who don't play board games or are interested, is there one board game that you'd recommend for someone to start out with? To start out with as I look at my shelves. Uh, If you don't mind 
facing against one another. Azul is beautiful and people are attracted to the way it looks, And but that one can also be quite mean, so that scares people off. <laughs> if you're afraid of that one and you want something that's not as confrontational, Reef, which is part of the same line, is also a very beautiful, very tactile game where you're building up stacks of coral, and uh, that's a good one if you're not, if you're put off by people messing with your stuff in Azul. Awesome. Well, Azul and Reef, we appreciate the recommendation. And uh, speaking of a great recommendation, we're so excited to have our guest here. Uh, Going to be partnering with Matt, coming to us from Seattle, another Oakland Five supporter on Patreon. We really appreciate that. Melanie Hall, how are you, Melanie? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Melanie. I am from the Seattle, Washington area. Um, I work in fleet management at a transportation company. And yeah, big fan of trivia. Um, like I also like board games, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Amazing. And we, we talked a little bit before the recording, but you've been listening uh, for about five years, I think you said. So thank you for uh, sticking with us. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, uh, Melanie is going to be partnering with Matt. And uh, Matt, I think we came up with a team name for you both. Uh, do you remember it or you want me to fill you in? Nope, don't remember it. Uh, okay, well, f- we figured we'd, we'd give you a peek behind the curtain. Uh, so yeah, Bordic Inspiration. Bardic. Bo- Bardic. Bardic. Neil my, doesn't my, remember it either. My son's <laughs> name is also Bort. <laughs> my, uh, my A looked like an O there. Yeah, Bardic Inspiration. So that's going to be your team name. Yeah, and since, then, since she's a bit of a D&D player. Yeah, and since you both are uh, kind of D&D players-ish, uh, your name is also in line with D&D, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I thought it would be fun to be a Clerical Error. All right. Well, Clerical Error versus Bardic Inspiration with a game hosted by Blake. I hate it when Blake. you pray to the wrong deity on accident, Jeff. I know. You want to pray to Tyr, and all of a sudden it's Murder some other god. Yep. <laughs> well, we like to, we like to, to pray to... Uh, That's what you came up with, Jeff? Come on. <laughs> we like to play, uh, pray to our deity, Darren. So let's throw it to Darren to hear the rules of life. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. Are you Carly Simon? Because nobody does it better. You're the cream of the crop. I missed him. Yeah, I missed Darren. Darren. Actually, Marlar is a deity. (laughs) Is it really? It is. Oh, that's funny. Uh, Well, I'm going to keep score today. I'm just going to be here for color commentary, but uh, it's going to be Clerical Era versus Bardic Inspiration. Take it away, Blake. All right. So they say write about what you know. So this is mostly going to be music, movies, and history because that's what I care about. Round one, question one. The category is going to be games. The Staunton set are the molds for the six types of pieces used in official competitions of what? All right, we're going to go ahead and lock in on this one. Mm, they locked in very quickly. Um, I don't know what a Staunton is. Melanie, how familiar are you with these words that he said? I also don't. Um, I'm trying to think of like board games because if they're yeah. physical pieces. Um, my guess, it said like the, I think the base figurines is what he said oh Uh, what i mean how many figurines are there in chess so Uh, i think there's more than six could be chess i was thinking maybe warhammer um because that's about customizing different pieces um and i know it's kind of a game that's played with those types of characters you want to lock in with that one 
I'm good with that. I don't know much about Warhammer. I don't either, so we're locking in with Warhammer. Uh, that's a good uh, guess there. I don't know too much about it, but I think there's huge armies and a lot of different uh, you know groups in Warhammer. Uh, we just think maybe that's like the standard Monopoly pieces is the Staunton set. All right, so we have Monopoly and Warhammer. The correct answer was said, but it was not locked in. Uh, I said types of pieces, not numbers of pieces. Mm. It is chess. Wow. This is what the uh, FIDE, which is the French chess acronym, this is the official set that they say you should use for chess tournaments. Uh, on to round one, question two. This is a geography question. With a difference of over 20 million... What country has the largest gap in population between its capital and its largest city? Though they heavily differ in population, they barely differ in name. All right. They are locked in. Um, so we're looking at capitals, geography, Melanie. Any ideas here? Um, No ideas, but the second part of that is making me think. I feel like it's maybe somewhere in Africa, but I could be way off. Um. It's possible um, if we're looking at maybe Johannesburg and Cape Town. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the sounds is. That's where I, where I got to, because initially my first thought was um, Rio de Janeiro and Brasilia because I know Rio's just got like such a gigantic population. Um, but I don't <laughs> African capitals. Uh, admittedly not my expertise um, me neither um but if we're thinking do you want to go with the south africa one johannesburg and cape town i've got nothing better okay we're locked in so i don't think i'm onto the right thing here but can let me lock in um we said uh london there's uh there's both london and the city of london and the city of london is a small tiny business district that's technically its own city within london it's like at the dead city center some nonsense from hundreds of years ago so that's what we guessed we said london i don't know about that uh the answer <laughs> was not sorry i don't know about if that's true and maybe you're right and i'm and that could also answer this the answer is the city uh the capital city includes the word new uh this is delhi and new mm. delhi in mm. india uh, New Delhi has a population of around 250,000. Uh, the sources for Delhi are all over the place, but some have it a, as much as 30 million, the total urban area. No so worries. I confirmed London's only about 15, so we weren't, mm. we weren't close enough to even bother with researching further. You're <laughs> right, though, with the, with the London itself proper is just a very small uh, area inside the city, actual London. Yeah, the city of London. Round one, question three, the category is seemingly unrelated conditions. Due to the number of blood vessels in your retina, what disease is the primary cause of blindness in adults aged 20 to 74? Um, I'm thinking it's not an eye disease because mm -hmm. of the first part of the question. It's probably a blood disease. Or like a nerve disease? Yeah. Could it be um, MS then? That would be probably the biggest... Could be nerve that. disease I could think of because I, I initially was thinking glaucoma but that doesn't always result in blindness um, but I think that you're onto something with the with 
thinking about the nervous system. So I, I think I'm good if we, if you're cool with locking in with MS. Sure. And we thought about glaucoma as well, but uh, I think you're onto something there, Jeff. Yeah. Um, I know um, when I think of retinopathy or, or kind of the retina diseases, I think of diabetes, diabetic retinopathy. Mm. So we guess diabetes. Yep, diabetes affects the blood vessels in your eye, which can cause you to go blind. Uh, and it's the leading cause of blindness. It is diabetes. Good job, Jeff. Someone's on the board. We'll take it. All right, round one, question four. Your category is unusual origins. According to one theory, what polarizing 1991 hit from a legendary band takes its name from a translated Chinese propaganda poster? Released in the wake of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. All right, uh, we're going to go ahead and lock in. We don't have a good idea here, so just kind of a random guess here. Okay, so they're locked in, and I think I might have something here. How familiar are you with 1991 uh, popular hits? Not that familiar. I, I feel like I've heard this somewhere, but I can't connect it to a song. Uh, so I think that based on the propaganda, the Tiananmen Square... It could potentially be Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Oh, that's good. I love um, that song. I think the time period's right, so I think we're good to lock in with that. Like your reasoning there, uh, Matt, we just kind of had to take a uh, random stab here. We're going to say the legendary band was Queen, although 91 might have been a little late, and we said uh, Radio Gaga. I, I'm so sorry, Matt. You have the right band. <sighs> It's shiny, happy people. Um. I guess the idea is that the poster was like, this is what's going on. They're all shiny, happy people. Nothing bad happened. And, uh, yep, very polarizing. The band, Michael Stipe hated it for a long time. And recently he's like, nah, it's okay. It pays the bills. He doesn't like any of his songs, though, so that's fair. <laughs> uh, round one, question five. Your category is lesser known sequels. The Great Glass Elevator is the subtitle to the sequel to what children's book from 1964? The original has been adapted into film twice, with only one of those having the same title as the book. All right, we're going to lock in on this one. Mm. The way hey, Matt, I definitely, I definitely know what this is. You know this one? Yeah, Excellent. it's going to be Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Wonderful. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, we also said Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And great success. Both teams are correct. Uh, you remember the ending of Charlie and Chocolate Factory has them taking a great glass elevator. Well, after five questions, uh, we want to forget the Tim Burton version of Charlie and Chocolate Factory. But what we won't forget is the scores because we have 10 points from Bardic Inspiration and 20 points from Clerical Error. I think I'm going to get Johnny Depp's haircut from that movie. <laughs> and, and the teeth and the and sunglasses. The teeth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just scaring children. Hey, Roll Dahl would approve of that. <laughs> he would. Uh, round one, question six. Your category is video games. In 1996, Biohazard was released in Japan for the PlayStation. It found a home as a massive multimedia franchise, but what was Biohazard changed to in America to avoid copyright issues? I'm 100% I'm sure on this if, if you want. We can oh, in. Oh, we both are. Perfect. Well, we are going to lock in because we know it. Nice. What do you think? Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> biohazard? No. I mean, there is um, some biohazard stuff on there, but that would have been earlier, right? So, release, 
my apartment was a biohazard uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so release for the PlayStation. Yeah. That's an early PlayStation game. Um, what do you what do you think? What's some early PlayStation stuff? Twisted Metal. It's not Final Fantasy. Mm. Pa Rappa no. the Rappa. Pa Rappa. Probably. Could be that. It's probably that. <laughs> Crash Bandicoot. Oh yeah, Crash. Um, Spyro. I'm having trouble thinking of like play like original PlayStation titles. I'm having trouble thinking of a mid '90s massive multimedia franchise for PlayStation that isn't Final Fantasy. Let's say. Do you want to say Twisted Metal? They, there's a show now that's multimedia. Oh. Huh. Okay. We'll say Twisted Metal. All right. They go Twisted Metal and Melanie. What are we saying? Um, this is Biohazard is also the subtitle of the seventh game, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Resident Evil. <sighs> uh, Bardic Inspiration is correct. Uh, it found a home as a massive multimedia franchise, including what was at one point the highest grossing Canadian film of all time. I don't know if it still is. It is Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> I, I admit, uh, Resident Evil is massiver and multimedia er. Than Twisted Metal. <laughs> than Twisted it's a TV metal. show now. That's multimedia, oh, no. right? It's on its way. Well, it's it's two. It's two. <laughs> the film Still directed multi. by the, the lesser Paul Anderson. Mm. Round one, question seven. The category is, how can you be so dense? Name either the land mammal or the marine mammal with the densest fur for ten points and five bonus points if you name both. The land animal is a South American rodent whose fur is often used in coats, while the marine mammal has an aquatic feature in its title and is one of the only animals known to use tools. All right, looks like clerical error is locked in. Uh, what are you guys thinking over at Bardic Inspiration? Densest fur. What do you think, Melanie? Well, the, the tools part at the end was making me think like beaver or mm-hmm. otter. But... Um, it said aquatic in the name, so like a sea otter would make a lot of oh, sense. Is, is that separate from a regular otter? I think I think that I think that their official name is like a sea otter. So that okay. that would, you know, lead into it. So I think that's good. Um and then for the land one, I think it's um I know that their fur's so thick that it can't get wet. That's why they take um sand baths. I think it's a a chinchilla. Oh. Okay. So sea otter and chinchilla. Oh, very interesting. Um, we guessed mink for the... We know they make mink coats. Um, and then the uh, aquatic uh, mammal with the sea name, we said sea lion. Ooh. Don't know. Uh, we have mink and sea lion and chinchilla and sea otter. Uh, bardic inspiration, full points. Yeah. It is the chinchilla and the sea otter. Nicely done. Uh, the nice sea job. otters use rocks to break open like shells and clams. Uh, that's their tool usage. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I wrote down otter and I was like, that doesn't have anything in the name. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah. I was like, oh, they use rocks. They break stuff on their stomachs. They're adorable. Love them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I forgot that they're technically sea otters. Fit every category except for the one that we didn't think of. Yeah. Yeah. And just in case it comes up, because someone might say this, there are river otters as well, mm. but those are not considered marine because they live like half and half between land and water, whereas sea otters almost always live in the water. And their fur is not nearly as dense. Mm-hmm. And they're jealous. <laughs> and with their tools, they don't make really good cell phone cases, just the uh, sea otters do. I think if they use Pantene, they can get it as dense, but they just, they don't. So. They refuse. 
Alright, round one, question eight. Your category is LGBT firsts. Sarah McBride is a remarkable woman. She was the first openly trans person to speak at a major party convention, intern at the White House, and serve as a state senator. What state was McBride elected to? She is not the most important contemporary politician from this state, which is fittingly nicknamed the first state. Yeah, we can lock in. <laughs> it was like I kind of had an idea, and then the clues kept coming, and then I and I was pretty sure. And but... they don't stop coming, and they don't <laughs> stop coming. Uh, Melanie, do you know? Do you know because of the yeah. quarters? I'm familiar with her. I, the first part of the question made me think Delaware mm. or Massachusetts. Yeah. And with the second part, I think it might be Delaware is the first state. Yeah, and, and uh, current um, president is also, I believe, from Delaware, went to school ah. in Delaware. So that would make sense. So, uh, yeah, the state that's just a little further north from me, uh, Delaware. He was a senator from Delaware, but he was born and raised in Scranton, PA, my friend. Oh, uh, that's right. So. Dunder Mifflin yeah. alum. What would you say, Del- Delawarean, Delawarean, Delanese? Delaware. I'm going to look that up because I'm really curious myself. Dom Delawarean. Anyways, we also <laughs> said Delaware. Uh, both teams are correct. She actually worked for his its son, right? Bo Biden. Oh, she was on his staff. Uh, and Joe Biden later wrote the forward to her memoir. It is Delaware. And as Ken said, it is Delawareans. Mm. And she is running for the House of Representatives, I believe, this year as well. So she could be the first trans actual senator as well. Uh, Round one, question nine. Your category is CGI firsts. In 1995, Toy Story was the first fully computer animated feature film. What fantasy comedy film, released the same year and based on an existing franchise, was the first feature-length movie to have a fully CGI character in the lead role? They still look pretty good. What, this movie? Mm -hmm. 1995? Mm -hmm. It doesn't look rough. Not too bad, no. I just watched it recently. 1995. (laughs) Well, it's not Howard the Duck. No, that's a real real film. We know that's Neil's favorite film. (laughs) All right, well, we are having trouble coming up with anything decent for this one, so we're just going to say Tammy and the T-Rex and move on. (laughs) Um, This is, so I'm pretty sure I know this one. Do you have any idea, Melanie? I don't. I I can think of a lot of CGI companions, but no lead roles. I believe this is a spiritual successor to Final Destination when Devin Sawit dies at the end and comes back as a friendly oh. ghost. And I believe that this is Casper. That's so good. So I realize that now I probably should have said supernatural comedy film. That is my bad if that led no, you astray. No, no, you were right. No, you were right. <laughs> but uh, Devin Sawa. My favorite part of this film is uh, Dan Aykroyd appearing in for the quickest cameo <laughs> of all time as his Ghostbusters character to say, who are you going to call? Somebody else. else. And he walks off screen. It is Casper. <laughs> Great movie. That's, a, that's a movie I had in VHS, so I watched it a ton. Can I keep you? Bill Pullman, Christina Ricci. Great movie. <laughs> I'm a human soul. That's <laughs> <laughs> the reaction I would have had when Devin Sawa asked me the same thing. I just like the farting ghosts. That or <laughs> they're also great. Matt's a simple man. He just <laughs> needs a ghost to fart, and he's entertained. I should rewatch that one. Though. Eric Idle, who's in that? Eric one? Eric Idle's yeah. in that one, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, round one, question ten. Your category is board game firsts. The Spiel des Jahres is the most prestigious award in board and card games. It was first awarded in 1979 to a racing game based on what children's fable? Jeff, Sports you know a ton of these, don't you? All right, we are. 
Every, Jeff's always getting credit for stuff that knows, I'm locking in for. He knows the for. board games. He's I'm locking in. In the last I'm like 15, 20 years. Matt, you sure. listen to me. For the <laughs> record, for the record, Ken did lock in by okay. himself. Well, Ken knows it, so definitely a hundred percent. Last week's episode had a brutal, a brutal accreditation uh, to Jeff, and I came up with the answer. <laughs> That's because you always lead him in and be like, Jeff, what did we say? So he, he gets last say. Not true. Not true. <laughs> not I, I wrote down, it was a three-part answer. I wrote down all three parts of the answer on my paper. And then uh, Neil goes, Jeff knows a lot about geography. He's probably got that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't about geography. It was about whaling. He goes, Jeff knows a lot about whaling, I bet. I said, I wrote down all three answers. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for that fact. Uh, Melanie, I have no idea here, so... I can think of one children's fable with a race, and that's the tortoise and the hare. And that seems like that could be a board game. That makes a ton of sense. And I am happy to lock in with the tortoise and the hare. Yeah, I think it was the best board game that year, probably. (laughs) According to the awards, Uh, we said tortoise and the hare. Uh, The game is called Hare and Tortoise, but any permutation of that is correct. Both teams are correct. Hare and tortoise. I would never get I want to be the tortoise this time. No, I want to be the tortoise. Uh, you're racing a bunch of different uh, animal characters. It's not just them. I was going to say, because from the case, premise of that, cheetah. it's a solved game, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just whoever picks tortoise every time. <laughs> Appar- uh, I'm just looking at this up. Apparently, the original German, it translates to for hare and hedgehog. <laughs> oh, well, the hedgehog's the fastest. Everyone knows that. Yeah, that's why oh, that, that didn't that exist at that point. Uh, well, thank you to the tortoise. Uh, we've all learned here that uh, slow and steady wins the race because the scores are getting higher. So we have uh, Clerical Error with 40 points ending the first round. And we have Bardic Inspiration with 65 and a slight lead. One thing before we get to the uh, swing round is just want to say uh, please join us on Patreon. Both Melanie and Blake are patrons, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, most of all, you can get uh, all of our episodes ad-free over at Patreon. So if you want to join for as little as a dollar a month, you can get the newest episodes ad-free. Uh, but we're doing a great thing now, which uh, I can have the guys talk about as well. But we're doing weekly bonuses. So you're getting uh, four bonuses every month to get three trivia-based bonuses and a crop drop at the end of the month. And we're having a lot of fun writing those, right, guys? That's right. Indeed. I'm excited. Yep, so you get a little bit of uh, our personality. We get a chance to write some questions. We don't get a chance to do that too much anymore because we want to open it up for everyone else to come join us on the show. But uh, please uh, join Blake and Melanie over at Patreon, which can uh, you can join at patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. And let's uh, move right along to the swing round now. Uh, what do you have in store for us? Uh, as I said, I'm music guy first and foremost, so this swing round is going to be one-hit wonders. I'll give you some flavor text. You give me the band responsible for the one-hit wonder. All right. Question one. This duo originally called themselves Two Tons of Fun before changing the name to better reflect their hit, a staple of gay bars. Uh, Question two. Though most people associate his hit with people bopping their heads in a car... The music video features sexy vampires and gothic cathedrals. Uh, Number three. This 60s ode to hedonism and good times comes to us via a mischievous thief from the musical Cats, although the band took the name from the poetry books that inspired Cats. Uh, Number four. Their big hit is about an alien abduction, and their name uses the wrong collective noun for their species of animal. Question five, 
Despite the band claiming otherwise, many suspect their acronym name is a reference to ecstasy. The song's most famous moment is a sample from Andrew Dice Clay. Number six. After the band's lead singer died of breast cancer in 2014, their sultry hit was used as part of a campaign promoting awareness and self-screening for the disease. Number seven. This individual preferred to sit behind his piano because of his stutter. He used a particular singing style to help him, which became part of his stage name. Question eight. According to Arthur Douglas, the original artist, the song was a feminist anthem critical of men who catcall women. After being covered by a band whose name is derived from their country of origin, it became a hit common at sports games. Number nine. This rap artist has lived up to his name through business investments, as well as inspiring one of Weird Al's most famous songs. And number 10. One of my parents' favorite artists, this man claims to be a Christian in his autobiographical hit about traveling to overcome writer's block, but in reality, he is Jewish. All right, we have our questions, and we'll be right back and see how many of these we can get. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, all the answers are now locked in from the swing round, and thankfully we haven't become a one-hit wonder yet, but uh, we're going to learn about some pretty famous one-hit wonders here, so let's throw it back to Blake. We have to have a hit hit first, first. Neil. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to give you a softball. You guys hit it. That's good. Hey, technically, like, Jimi Hendrix and, like, the Grateful Dead are one-hit wonders, and no one considers them that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Good point. Uh, question one was about the duo who originally called themselves Two Tons of Fun and made a staple of gay bars. What's your answer? Ken and I said, wham. Uh, we said Weather Girls for Raining Men. Yep, it is Weather Girls. They mm. changed their name. It's always a bad sign when you change your name to have something to do with your hit. That just <laughs> dooms you right from the start. <laughs> Hallelujah. They also time. later did uh, a very similar song except Christmas themed. Uh, I believe it's called Bring Me a Man for Christmas. Again, no. just you're just resigned to fate at that point. <laughs> Flurries of Famously, men. uh... Paul Schaefer on that song, yep. uh, It's Raining Men. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, question two, a song that people associate with bopping their heads in a car, but the original music video is about sexy vampires in gothic cathedrals. What's your answer? Uh, that music video sounded bizarre to us, so we said OMC, but we're not sure. Mm, I believe that this is What is Love, and it is Hadaway. Mm. Yep, the song that later got drilled into us by Night at the Roxbury. The original video is uh, Hadaway biting girls' necks, and 
it's quite silly. It is what is loved by Hathaway. Ken, we're gonna do not great. It's not good. <laughs> Forgive me if I if I've told this before. Melanie would know uh, who's been listening a long time. But uh, Halloween one year, I wanted to be a Night at the Roxbury guy with a friend of mine in like sixth grade. Bought these suits. We glitterized them with uh, glitter and, and hairspray and everything. And then I was dressed in the outfit, ready for a Halloween party. And he canceled uh, the day of the <laughs> Halloween party. So I just went by myself as uh, Chris Catan. So you could only uh, thrust upon the. the <laughs> I was just thrusting from in one the direction, one, just in the corner by myself. If someone was by a wall, then you were okay. But otherwise, it wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question three, this seemed to give people a lot of problems. Uh, this 60 O to hedonism that takes its name from a character from the musical Cats. What do we have? We're not sure, but Jeff had a line on this one. Yeah, so I think this is, uh, in the summertime, which is a, a one-hit wonder I enjoy about hedonism, and, uh, I'm th fairly certain that's Mungo Jerry, which sounds stupid enough to be the <laughs> character in Cats. Uh, we, we had no idea. Um, I, all, the only one I could think of was Rum Tum Tugger, so I said Rum Tum Tug McGraw. <laughs> uh, and we have a correct answer for clerical error. Uh, since it came out in the 60s, the Cats musical obviously didn't exist, so they took the name from the books by, what, T.S. Eliot, and it is Mungo Jerry's The Band Within the Summertime. <laughs> Of course. Uh, question four. A uh, big hit about an alien abduction, and their name uses the wrong collective noun for their species of animals. What do we got? Uh, we had no idea, but we just said the toadies, because we want to give the toadies a shout out. Love for, the toadies. Uh, Possum Kingdom. That's a great song. Mm -hmm. Ken and I love that song. We dance around shirtless to that song. <laughs> uh, based on the animal clue, I was thinking a flock of seagulls. Um, this song being Iran. Uh, yep. When they talk about uh, Aurora Borealis coming in view, it's because they have been abducted on a spaceship and can see the Aurora <laughs> Borealis coming out. It is Flock of Seagulls. A, the collective noun for a group of seagulls is a colony. Uh, flock of Seagulls is a lyric from a Stranglers song from the 70s. Every time I hear Flock of Seagulls, I think of the scene in Wedding Singer with the uh, airport attendant who says, do you like Flock of Seagulls? He goes, you certainly do, or whatever. <laughs> Those hair. Fun fact, he doesn't even have that hairstyle in the video for Iran. Mm -hmm. It became so famous from their other videos and their other stuff, even though they weren't as big. Ooh, love that. Good fun fact. Question five. Many suspect their acronym name is a reference to ecstasy, and they sampled Andrew Dice Clay for the song's most famous moment. I think it was better when it was remixed into a craft commercial. Crumbelievable. We said uh, EMF. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was unbelievable. Epson Mad... Bunkers, I think they say it is, but it's EMF. Uh, Matt is correct. It is Epson. They say it's Epson Mad Funkers, which was a fan club tribute band to New Order. Uh, but many suspect their name stands for Ecstasy MF or it is EMF. <laughs> uh, question six. This seemed to give people trouble. Uh, band's lead singer died of breast cancer, and so the song became a fitting. Uh, Use for a campaign about promoting awareness and self-screening to for the disease. What do we got? Uh, we just answered Lou Bega for every uh, one of the the rest of these. So. <laughs> oh, except for except for nine, we knew nine. So uh, this one, um, this one, we I think we had absolutely zero idea, and we just guessed a one-hit wonder and said four non-blondes. Uh, sorry, it's uh, I touch myself by the Divinals. Uh, she sadly passed away at breast cancer. The lead singer. Uh, Chrissy Amflood is her name, and they use the song as part of a campaign in Australia. Uh, question seven. 
This individual sat behind his piano because of his stutter, and he used the singing style to help him. What do we got? Uh, we didn't know. Lou Bega. <laughs> again. Uh, again, Lou Bega. Uh, we thought that this an interesting way of singing would be scatting, so we said the scat man. Uh, hmm. Scatman Carruthers. Is that what So, I don't know what to do with this, because the full name of the artist is Scatman John. Oh, I, uh, I but given John. that you you have struggled with so much of these, no, and I feel they're bad. Kill, they're, they're crushing Yeah, we're us. killing They don't need it. <laughs> All right. Keep uh, your pity yeah. points. He had he had a stutter. He's a classically trained jazz pianist, and he used singing to help deal with it. And someone he was he moved to Germany because that's where all the jazz clubs were. Yeah, and home of Lou Bega. Yeah, some <laughs> some dance producer was like, "Your singing style is interesting. Let me put a techno beat behind it." And that's how the song came to be. A uh, scat man. Uh, Pretty he sure is... scat man Crothers played guitar. Man, <laughs> he's a real guy though. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, he's for a real me. Guy. Yeah. Give me those half points again. <laughs> no half points. No, no points. No 2.5 on this one. As Willy Wonka would say, good day, sir. No points. And because further just proving this country's not real, this man, Scatman John, also has one of the top 20 best-selling albums of all time by a non-Japanese speaking artist in Japan. He, is, he was a huge over there. He's in commercials. It's country makes no sense. Uh, number <laughs> Surprising. Number eight, uh, the original artist said it was a feminist anthem, got, got turned into a uh, hit common at sports games. What do we got? Show me Lou Bega. <laughs> uh, we went with Who Let the Dogs Out by Bahamut. Yeah, I felt so stupid when I learned this. I was like, oh, their name is just where they're from because they're Bahamian. It is Bahamut who let the dogs out. Number nine, this rap artist has lived up to his name through business investments and inspired one of Weird Al's most famous songs. Figured this was ch chingy. Ooh, so close. Uh, big fan of Weird Al. Uh, oh, white and nerdy here. would be Chameleonaire. Yep, Chameleonaire has uh, made a lot of money through business investments and various programs, and he speaks a lot at like uh, tech um, conferences and stuff. It is Chameleonaire with Ryan and Dirty. Do? I can't remember now. Right, 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 And he was not a one-year wonder, Inn, sadly. Holiday Inn was also a hit, so I believe he had two hits. <laughs> as a as a a chingy connoisseur. <laughs> uh, question ten: uh, This man claimed to be a Christian is all biographical hit, but in reality, he is Jewish. No, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, he might be Jewish. I don't know uh, the the faith status of Lou Bega. Um, I I had no idea here. Um, I thought the song might have been "Traveling Man," which I believe is Ricky Nelson, but I don't think that that's right. But that's what we went with. All right, I think I led someone astray here because people assumed that it was a much older artist than it is. This is an early '90s big hit. It is "Walking in Memphis" oh, by Mark Cohn. Uh, a no. man who claimed to be a Christian tonight. No disrespect to Mr. Cohn, but if I have to hear that one more time on any American Idol or any sort of singing contest, I will uh, be walking to Memphis myself. Okay. Uh, after uh, the swing round, it looks like the scores uh, aren't going to change too much. Uh, just a little bit more of a lead for Bardic Inspiration picking up 30 points, bringing their total to 95. And Clerical Error only picking up 10, yeah. but still a good effort. That that's not, not going to change at all. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you feel better. You have 50 points. so we just got moited. <laughs> uh, 
All right. Hopefully, we can do better in the next round. <laughs> By a colony of seagulls. Uh, hopefully, we don't have PTSD because uh, we're still talking about one-hit wonders on the next question. Uh, round two, question one. Speaking of one-hits, Q Lazarus was a taxi driver who played the demo for her song Goodbye Horses for a director in 1985. The director used the song in his film Married to the Mob before again using it to greater fame in a creepy clothes-changing montage in what early 90s critical and commercial darling? We're locked in. All right, creepy clothes-changing montage. Usually clothes-changing montages are fun and have... Um, fun and flirty. Yeah, I'm Too Sexy by Right Side well, This Fred. one's kind of flirty. Okay. In some contexts. Um, <laughs> Melody, do you have any clue? I have nothing at all. Yeah. Um, Critical and commercial darling. Yeah, so thinking about early 90s movies that were successful and had critical success. Uh, this is Clinton Unforgiven, right? <laughs> Tombstone? I don't, rem- <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> the famous scene where Morgan Freeman and Clint Eastwood go to, to get him, uh, you know, dressed back up for the, for the big revenge. Uh, He's trying on outfits and Morgan Freeman's like shaking his head no and yeah. <laughs> Those chaps. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm afraid we got nothing on this. Um, you want to, we'll say basic instinct. Would you answer this question? I'd answer this question so hard. Um, it's Silence of the Lambs. Uh, clerical error is correct. It is the song that plays over the scene where Buffalo Bill is trying on various outfits of skin and putting on makeup. And he says, would you F me? I'd F me. It is Silence of the Lambs. Uh, round two, question two, about another movie I haven't seen. <laughs> a change for the best. The original Swedish title of what massive best-selling novel translated to Men Who Hate Women. The English translation was released in 2008 and had an acclaimed Hollywood adaptation in 2011. We're locked in. So we're looking at a, a 2008 book, a 2011 film. Was it Swedish? Uh, the the original, I believe the book was, and then it was... Tra- what about um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? That's Swedish, I think. Could Is be. Um, I think that that book's older than 2008, oh. though. But um, that would be an acclaimed adaptation, though. I think it was around 2011, too. Okay. Um, yeah, let's go with that. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. For all those reasons and the fact that uh, the title is on theme for the uh, subject matter, we also said The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, the book, the original book of it was 2005. It is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm. Uh, the Every chapter in the book begins with a real world epigraph depicted, uh, talking about a statistic about violence or disappearances about uh, women in Sweden. Wish uh, David Fincher's uh, film would have had two sequels. I love that movie, yeah, but fortunately not. All right. Round two, question three. The origin of food. According to one theory, what pasta dish originated from American breakfast rations mixed with water during the Allied liberation of Rome in World War II? All right. So they're locked in. Um, pasta dishes, huh? What about like mac and cheese? Oh, that seems like a more recent pasta invention, maybe. Yeah, 
and I can uh, mix with water. It's that's I think I could see, I could see that that makes sense to me. It's very American, so very American, not Italian. Yeah, so let's let's go with the old mac and cheese. We're gonna go with something worse, um, <laughs> spaghettios. <laughs> Uh, I might have misled people here. This dish was made in Italy, but it was American soldiers who gave uh, Italians eggs and bacon and mixed with water that eventually became carbonara. This is oh, one of the wow. proposed theories for carbonara. I love that our thought of American soldiers is they're just, you know, chowing down on spaghettios. Pounding mac and cheese. I thought maybe they had like, like you know, it's, you know, little noodle noodle and red sauce yeah, type yeah. thing, and they were trying to stretch it, so mm -hmm. they mixed it with some water. Makes sense. Made, made a nasty pasta soup. <laughs> Whatever they could eat, yeah. All right. Uh, this is going to be the longest question. Uh, round two, question four. We have political phrases and African-American history. George Washington Williams was a soldier, Baptist minister, member of the Ohio House of Representatives, and historian credited as one of the first to write about black participation in the colonies and the Civil War. What three-word term did he use to describe the forced labor, torture, and murder he witnessed after visiting the infamous Congo Free State? Many erroneously consider this the first use of the phrase which has since become common in describing acts of genocide and tyranny. All right. Well, we are going to lock in with a guess here. I I feel like this is going to be like a, like a question that you kind of regret not answering correctly once you hear the answer, but um, we have a guess at least. So, um, I concur with everything Ken said. Um, <laughs> Melanie, do you have any idea? The only thing I can think of, and it's not extreme enough, but like human rights violation. But yeah. Again, doesn't sound quite extreme enough. Yeah. So like human rights violation times 100 is what we're going to lock in with, I guess. Okay. We're um, using another famous three word phrase. Uh, we don't think fits the, the category here, but we said, oh, the humanity. Sadly, no correct answers here. Uh, so the story is that he actually wanted to go visit the Congo Free State because it was pitched to him as a positive thing, development, and it was not. He wrote a letter to the king at the time of the Congo, uh, king of Belgium, King Leopold II. He used the term crimes against humanity. Oh. Mm. Uh, he, had actually previous, he had actually previously used the term in one of his books to describe slavery, um, and other people, like the Republican Party platform in the 1850s also had, but his is considered one of the most famous uses and since of course the nuremberg trials mm. uh sort of made a part of international law mm. uh oh and, the humanity was the hindenburg right is that yeah correct yeah okay. and a uh, stupid movie fact uh samuel jackson plays this man in the uh, live action tarzan movie from a couple years ago <laughs> oh oh wow why? Because uh, that takes place in the Congo. Because that takes place in the Congo oh, okay. Free State uh, as the setting, and they play. He plays this man, a uh, fascinating individual, by the way. If you look him up, he ran away to join the army at the age of fourteen. He enrolled in famous colleges on his own. He's a fascinating man. All right, round two, question five. In terrible food puns, Goonkan Maki is sushi designed to look like a tiny what? Their visual inspiration is important to Japanese history since the nation consists of a series of islands. Okay, they're locked in. Are you a big sushi person? I am not. Mm, me either. 
Um, my initial thought was I've seen sushi, like a sushi boat, like in the shape of a boat. And I think that makes sense as they'd have to travel from island to island. I was thinking the same thing. Should we be more specific or just boat? I think we should be as as unspecific as possible until required. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to say boat. Uh, yeah, we also said boat. Uh, we agree with what they said, and I think the con part of um, Gunkan has some something to do with boats as well. So, uh, so I did not know the exact translation. I looked it up. Apparently, it translates specifically to battleship or warship, uh, but boat or ship is acceptable. Uh, Sioux ship, terrible food pun. After five questions in the second round, it looks like clerical error is going to be picking up thirty points, bringing their total to eighty. And Team uh, Bardic Inspiration picking up 20, bringing their total to 115. All right. Round two, question six. Your category is European history. Pope John Paul II's real name is Carl Yusef Votowa. He became the first non-Italian pope in 450 years, and he became the first pope to visit his native country in 1979. His visit is credited with inspiring a revolutionary sentiment that snowballed into the first independent union and democratic elections in the Soviet bloc. What country is Carl from? Locked in. Yep. Well, that was quick. Um, <laughs> Love our popes. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. <laughs> Big pope I mean, guys really over do. there. Um, I have, I, I don't think I know. Um, do you have any idea? Um, Soviet countries. What is there? Yeah. Ukraine. Um... Uzbekistan. Yeah, you're looking at Ukraine and uh, Kazakhstan. But we're looking at the first independent trade union and democratic elections. Um, and Carl with a K. That seems almost Icelandic. Um, would would Finland count as being part of the Soviet bloc? No, right? Don't. Oh think so okay. i'm thinking like what is it estonia lithuania mm. okay lithuania sounds like it could have a democratic election based on nothing sure. <laughs> um i got nothing better okay let's lock in lithuania um my grandmother was polish and mm. uh mm. always hearing about pope john paul ii so we're saying poland uh, clerical error is correct. It is Poland, the trade union of solidarity, and the first... Uh, I mean, there were elections in the Soviet bloc, but they were not considered democratic. There was, yeah. was the first that was considered like an open and fair election in the late 80s. I don't know how you could Poland. be from Chicago and get a Poland question wrong. How dare you, really? <laughs> Round two, question seven. Disgusting. The climax of what 2020 blockbuster... Features Robert Downey Jr. pulling bagpipes, among other objects, out of a dragon's rectum. It is the fourth theatrical film starring the titular character, with the first coming in 1967. All right, uh, Bardic is locked in. Uh, so I know what Robert Downey Jr. did right after he quit the MCU. Uh, and that was Dr. Doolittle. Ew. I haven't seen it, and I think I would have remembered this scene had I seen it. Um, so let's say Dr. Doolittle. Bagpipes ripped from a dragon's anus? Yeah. Uh, I also logged in with Dr. Doolittle. Haven't, haven't seen it either, but... 
so the film is technically called Just Doolittle. I don't know if we should accept that, but oh, yeah. I guess it points, won't matter because you both points. got it. <laughs> he didn't well, go to medical school said, to be called uh, Starring what titular character? The climax so. of what 2020 blockbuster. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd give points for that, yeah. Uh, round two, question eight. Uh, the category is fiction no longer. Heinrich Schleiman and Frank Calvert are the two people credited with proving historians wrong by excavating what lost city in 1871 underneath Hisserlik, Turkey? Um, so, I, you know, I know it's in Jordan, but I think that's not too far from there. I think Petra was a lost city, and it's always referred to as a lost city, and I did some research on it for a different question I wrote at some point in time. Um, and I know that it was a city that was previously thought to be lost and currently isn't. Um, do you want to lock in with Petra? Sure. Okay. Uh, we are going with uh, Babylon. Mm. Um, mentioned in the Bible, there might have been some dispute about whether it was existent or not. Um, I know the Ishtar Gate, which is Babylon's gate, is in a German museum, so we're saying Babylon. Uh, sadly, both teams are incorrect. Uh, this city was stopped by historians to just be part of one of the most famous stories of all time, but later they found that Troy really did exist. Mm. Uh, people don't know to what extent the uh, Iliad is true about the Greek and Troy war, but for a long time historians thought Troy didn't exist, and then these two used a lot of dynamite, destroyed a lot of old uh, classical architecture, but they found that, yeah, Troy did exist. Hmm. Mm. And one severed Achilles' heel. <laughs> it was just sitting there at the bottom. <laughs> there it is. There it is. He's real. It's the heel. All right. Round two, question nine. Your category is sports. The logo of what big four sports team, so NHL, NBA, NFL, and MLB, comes from a quack-quack-quack transforming mask depicting an eagle, even though their name refers to a different bird. The name, it seems Native American. Yeah, I was thinking, and maybe it's just because I live here in Seattle, but Seahawks mm. and Washington has a lot of Native American influences in the art. Yeah, um, and the and it's kind of kind of looks like that. The Seahawk is is more eagle like in appearance than, uh, and I believe it's one of the only logos that faces left. Not that that matters. But it is a fact that now you guys know. Interesting. Uh, um, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely good with locking in with your your hometown team that you love and root for every week. I'm sure the <laughs> Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Blackhawks also faces left. I was going to say the um, Seahawks logo faces right, man. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Cut that all out <laughs> or don't. <laughs> uh, we said the Seahawks as well. Uh, Matt, it's the Eagles logo, I believe, that faces to the mm, left. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, when Melanie said she was from Seattle, I was like, great. Um, <laughs> but yes, it is the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawk, I thought, didn't exist, but it's a nickname for an osprey. And people have dug up that, yeah, the transforming mask. So it, it has the, the logo, like it covers up their face, and it opens up like this to expose like a face beneath it. But yep, it depicts an eagle. And they call themselves the Seahawks, though. Both teams are correct. And the Supersonics weren't a hedgehog. There's a lot to learn. 
Round two, question 10. Your category is six degrees of very good boys. Newfoundland dogs excel at water rescue due to their muscular build, thick double coat, webbed paws, and swimming abilities. According to one tale, a Newfoundland rescued what man after he fell off a ship during an important voyage in 1815? Funny enough, one of the most iconic images of this man features him in the Swiss Alps at St. Bernard Pass, a similar breed to the Newfoundland dog. All right, um, so we discussed uh, a bunch of earlier explorers. We don't think it was any of the Vikings or anything then, so we, we're going to lock in with an explorer we know from the era and say Lewis, not Clark. We're going Lewis. Yeah, thinking about people who would have been all over, um, potentially even the European continent, and then people who famously took uh, ship voyages in 1815, potentially to exile. Uh, we guessed mm. Napoleon. Oh, it's always Napoleon. Dynamite. Uh, yeah, I might Napoleon. have led uh, bardic inspiration astray. It was not an explorer. This is after he was first exiled and was returning back to ah. the European mainland after his exile. And the image of him rearing up on a horse uh, is that mm. the drawing is at the Swiss Alps or St. Bernard Pass. It is Napoleon Bonaparte. Great poll by uh, Clerical Arrow there. Actually, you know, bringing this gap even closer. So you picked up uh, a bunch of points here in the second half of the round, uh, about uh, 40 of them. Uh, and you're going to be getting uh, 120 points going into the final round. So you're only 15 points behind Bardic Inspiration, uh, who have 135. So... The gap is closed, and it could be anybody's game here in the final round. Matt, one thing I wanted to talk about really quick is uh, over at the coffee conglomerate, uh, if someone wants to come get something like a, you know, like an iced chai or a, a frappuccino, how much is that probably going to cost someone? Oh, roughly about $5. So for $5, you can get one of those drinks, or for $5 a month, you can get a ton of extra content over with us at patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. Jeff, you had a really fun time uh, writing the weekly bonuses that we're, we're starting to do here in the new year. And we actually got a lot of great comments about your bonus. Uh, people saying that they love the difference in questions and the topics. Um, are you enjoying writing these new questions? Very much. Yeah. A nice opportunity to mix it up every month. Uh, so it's a, it's a good time over there. People and love you know woodworking. If, if, if listeners want to send us their submissions too, you can send us questions that we will do on the Patreon bonuses. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit different. We used to have the uh, question five where you could submit it for a normal game. Since we're not really hosting full games, if you want to send us those questions, we're going to incorporate them into our weekly Patreon bonuses. And I know Dean Bratton, for example, I'm going to call you out. You send a, a lot of great questions over to us. I'm going to use those on this month's bonus questions. But yeah, come. They might uh, even inspire a round. Exactly. They might inspire a round. But yeah, definitely come join us at patreon.com. Triviality Podcasts, and you can get uh, four extra bonuses uh, a month. All right, what do we have for the uh, final round categories? Uh, we have a final round here. Uh, question one, Shahada, or profession of faith. This is going to be a mythology question. Question two, Salah, or prayer. This is going to be an architecture question. Uh, question three, Zakat, or almsgiving. Uh, this is a comic book question. Question four, we have psalm or fasting. This is a politics question. And question five, we have hajj or pilgrimage. This will be a religion question. These are the five pillars of Islam. Yeah, are they not? I believe so. Unless, I have my, unless my research is totally wrong, which I wouldn't put past me. 
All the wagers are now locked in. We're doing a nice, clean 20s all the way down. The other team, uh, Bardic Inspiration, inspired to make some precise bets. So we'll get those as we go. Let's hear the questions. Uh, question one in Profession of Faith slash Mythology. The first pillar involves declaring a belief in only one god, therefore making Islam a monotheistic religion. On the other hand, Greek and Roman mythology are polytheistic and feature many gods. Who is the only member of the Twelve Olympians to have the same name in Greek and Roman? Question two in prayer slash architecture. Mosques often feature a marab, a domed recess in the wall of a mosque that faces Mecca to help with daily prayer. What is another five-letter word for this architectural feature? Question three. Uh, in almsgiving or comic books. In A Serious House on Serious Earth, one of the most acclaimed Batman graphic novels, we see the charity that his villains receive at Arkham Asylum. For example, Two-Face receives treatment to wean him off using a coin and instead use what items to make decisions, which gives him 78 possible outcomes rather than two. Question four in fasting slash politics. Obligatory Chicago question. The Fasting Cure is a 1910 nonfiction book that argued for fasting as a cure for cancer and tuberculosis, among other conditions. Its author would go on to win a Pulitzer Prize, run for governor of California as the Democratic nominee, and inspire several new laws through his fiction and nonfiction, such as a code of ethics for journalists. Who is he? And uh, question five, uh, in pilgrimage or religion, the final pillar involves a pilgrimage to Masjid al-Haram, or the Great Mosque of Mecca. Within the mosque are Safa and Marwa, two small hills that Muslims travel between seven times as part of the pilgrimage. Marwa is the Arabic translation of Moriah, a mountainous region in the book of Genesis. What does God ask Abraham to do at this site? All right, we have our questions. Uh, we will deliberate these, and we'll be right back and find out who will beat today's cream of the crop. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more, we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All the answers are now locked in. Let's throw it back to Blake for the questions, and we'll see how these teams did. Uh, question one in the uh, mythology and uh, profession of faith. Who is the only member of the 12 Olympians that have the same name in Greek and Roman? Um, I was digging deep in the recesses of my mind here, and I seem to remember I looked up once uh, the origin of Uranus, and I think it was the same in both Greek and Roman. So uh, We wagered 15, and we went with Apollo. Uh, so Uranus, I believe, is not one of the 12 Olympians. Mm. I believe he's a titan or a older god of the sky i believe but among the Fair. 12 olympians it is apollo uh, as oh. far as i can tell the reason for this is the rome conquered greece and so rome took the greek gods and added them to their existing gods and they didn't have a equivalent for apollo so they just took the name where the other ones they changed their names and took their identities and added them to their existing roman gods of neptune and mm -hmm. pluto and so and so uh, question two, what is another five-letter word for this uh, domed recess? Uh, for this one, we said niche. 20 points. Oh. Uh, we wagered five, and I couldn't even think of a five-letter word, so domes. It's five. Uh, Jeff's team is correct. It is niche or niche. Uh, this is where the term carve out your own niche stands for comes from. Oh. And... Um, in a lot of churches, they typically put statues in these or like some sort of uh, feature. But in mosques, it's like empty. And that's supposed to show pray this direction towards Mecca as part of your daily prayer. Uh, question three. Uh, what is the item that Two-Face uses in a serious health on serious earth to help him make decisions now? Uh, this one was the toughest, I think. Um, well, we got the first one wrong, so that was probably the toughest. But um, <laughs> we we were trying to think of something with 78 possible outcomes. I don't know how many cards there are in a tarot deck, but we said tarot. Yeah, we wagered 30. We bounced around a lot of ideas, but ended up on the same thing, tarot deck. Uh, there are 22 major arcana, which are hangman so-and-so, and 56 minor arcana, making a 78-card tarot deck, which wow. is what he uses. Uh, he ends up basically, because, again, there's 78 different options, he becomes basically paralyzed and can't do anything, including going to the bathroom, even. Question four. Who is this man who wrote The Fasting Cure and would go on to many other acclaims, including a Pulitzer Prize? Uh, we thought maybe this is the person who wrote The Jungle as well, since there was a Chicago angle, and we said Upton Sinclair. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I just thought um, fasting, grapes, grapes of wrath. I don't know. Steinbeck. We wager yeah. 20. Not good for us. Yeah, I, I was sneaky and didn't mention his most famous work, which is a fiction book set in a meat packaging plant in Chicago. Uh, the Jungle, this is Upton Sinclair, who would go on to many things, including arguing that fasting was a cure for basically any disease that you could think of. Uh, the book has obviously been ripped apart in modern times. So like, yeah, this is all obviously not true. Uh, question five in the category of uh, pilgrimage. 
Uh, what does God ask Abraham to do at the site of Moriah, which is uh, the mountainous region in the book of Genesis that Muslim scholars or Islamic scholars uh, believe is the translation of Marwah, a hill in the great mosque of Mecca? Uh, just the small favor of sacrificing his son. Isaac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wager 10 and also said killing his son Isaac. Uh, correct. Uh, technically, there's actually debate on this. In Christianity, it's definitely Isaac, but Islamic scholars actually argue about whether he's asked to kill Isaac or Ishmael, who's much more important to the Islamic faith. But whatever it is, yep, he asks uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son at Moriah. Both teams are correct. After all the questions, it looks like uh, it all came down to wagers, which sometimes it does in the final round. Bardic Inspiration is going to be picking up 30 points, bringing their final score to 165. But today's cream of the crop, our Clerical Error, error picking up 60 points, bringing their total to 180. You're a winner, baby. Wow. Didn't think that was going to happen. Squeaked that one out there, Jeff. Squeaked it out. Great game, both teams. Uh, yeah, great job, uh, great job, guys here in the studio. Uh, coming back here at the end, and uh, yeah, Melanie and Matt, uh, really strong showing the whole game. Uh, Melanie, thanks for joining us today. Any any shout outs you like to give before we let you go? Uh, yeah, shout out to my boyfriend Ben. He listens to the podcast with me all the time. Hi Ben. Hey Ben. Uh, What's going yeah. on? Well, thanks for joining us, Melanie. We appreciate it, and and for you being a Patreon supporter too. It was so nice to meet you and have you on today's game. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. And Sorry, Blake, thank you so me. much for all these questions. A lot of great extra fun facts that weren't even included in the question. Uh, any shout-outs you'd like to give uh, before we let you go today? Uh, shout-out to the website I write for, Merry Go Round Magazine, where I occasionally write about board games these days. And shout-out to my uh, parents and my gaming groups. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to uh, check out all of your writing. And uh, Ken, before we go out, uh, while people check out Merry Go Round, uh, who else can we uh, say thank you to? Oh, we just love Airwave Media, our network. You can find them at airwavemedia.com. Check out other uh, great podcasts such as How About Movie Therapy, The Film Vault, and uh, All Creatures. All creatures. Well, speaking of creatures, we have a lot of fun creatures in the studio today. And for all the fun creatures out there listening, thank you to Melanie and Blake and Matt and Jeff and Ken. My name was Neil, and that was another episode of Triviality.